0: Hi, my name's Clive Lovett, and welcome to the Flight Pass podcast. Today, I fly solo, because when we recorded this interview, Kerry was recovering from an illness. I get to speak with Scott Stokely. Scott tells me about his time in Australia, New Zealand, Southeast Asia, and Japan, playing disc golf and taking in the culture. We debate the rating system, and Scott tells us why... In his words, disc golf is the sport of the 21st century. So let's go into the circle with Scott Stokely. Today we have our first time, second appearance person on the show. Repeat. Repeat. Yeah. Good friend of the show, um, Scott Stokely, who is in Japan right now, I believe. Is that correct, Scott?
1: I am in Tokyo, Japan as we speak, but we're actually. About to get on a train to head to a little lake right next to Mount Fuji for four four days.
0: Awesome. Awesome. We'll get into your travels shortly because the last time we spoke to you was you were parked outside a gas station on the way to the Big Skins game. And pretty Was it really the last time? Yeah. Yeah. It seems such a long time ago. It's about
1: nine countries ago.
0: Yeah. Ten countries (laughs) Cool. we well, yeah, we'll get into your travels um because you you shortly um left for Australia after that, I believe. Now I just wanted to I know the listeners know, and I think I told you before, I I'm just we're just wrapping up the six months of your stop Scott Stokely Method course, which has been great. Um so I thought I'd uh just mention that. And yeah, I mean, it's been cool. We're doing we're just in the um sidearm or or forehand right now. So perfect. Yeah. I
1: love, I love you're know, having a good time and it's, and it's working.
0: Yeah. It is. It's, it's like anything in life, you'll get out of it what you put in. And at times, because it's, you know, we were going through a, a winter where it's minus 30 degrees out and stuff like that. And I, I slowed down a little bit. As far as um, improvement on my game, I know my distance hasn't improved greatly. I'm not a long thrower, but I, I know, I know what's causing that. That's me not rotating back on that second stage enough. Okay. So so I've got to upload some more videos and, you know, put the net up in the garage. Um,
1: Well, one of the things that uh, for the people listening, it's a six month class. It's an online class. It's called become a complete disc golfer. This is the class that you signed up for that you're referencing. Uh, It is not. You watching a bunch of videos and given a curriculum and, and things like that. Um, it is multiple live classes per month. There's live streams, uh, but one of the big separators between this and I think other things out there are that you are able to upload an unlimited number of form review videos when you're in the class. So the idea is that it's like having me or one of the coaches because I have four coaches in the, which are they're fantastic. I, I'm assuming you have had that experience because they're, they're the best. Um, but you're, when you're giving things to work on, you're actually posting videos of you doing it and then being told what you need to work on, what needs to be modified, because it's very hard to self-assess. Yeah. Uh, but you do unlimited number of times because some people pick it up like that. Other people have to keep coming back and keep coming back. But it doesn't matter. It's, it's everybody ends uh, knowing how to throw correctly.
0: Yeah. And, and what I like is now you've allowed people, if they want to, for a minimal fee to to keep, you know, um, attached, yeah. attached to the program, which which is yeah. awesome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way that works is that even the six months, I mean, look, if you were taking martial arts classes, you're, you're not a black belt in six months. There's, you know, you're on the path, but there's still ways to go. So the way I set this up is I basically made it free to stick around and keep taking the classes over and over again with an unlimited number of form reviews. Um, it's not completely free because I charge a whopping $5 a month. Um, but that is, I call it free because that's about, about what I, I think needs to be allocated to the trainers to be taking, you know, I'm paying them to do form reviews. Yeah. So it's a wash for me. So I'm not making any money off it. And you get to stick around forever for five bucks a month. It's, um, I'm really proud of that actually because yeah. that that makes sure that if someone, you know, picks it up slower or they have winter. I mean, people have you know, gotten busy with work and they're bummed out because they can practice as much as they want. Well, that's fine. It's like it's five bucks a month. You can keep on going.
0: Yeah, definitely. And quite a few people in the the club, the Camloops Disco Club, um, that I played with mentioned. That I look a lot smoother when I'm throwing. Um, I'm certainly hit, certainly hitting the lines a lot better, um, and I have seen my my scores come down. But again, you know, when you Happy play, time. yeah, when you play and don't practice, you need to practice. I need to practice more, do more field work, and yeah, definitely do.
1: Absolutely. Why well, I appreciate that. So ScottStokely.net is where you'll sign up for that.
0: Okay, so let's get, let's get back to what you've been doing. Less yeah. about me. Have you been to? Had you been to Australia before? First, first time to Australia,
1: first time to New Zealand. Actually, of all the countries I've been to, Japan's the only one I've been to before, um, a couple times. But no, it was the first time. First time south of the equator, actually,
0: cool. Um, and what was the Australian golf scene like? Is it thriving? It is. Well, so basically,
1: this is what I'm looking at. So since since I started disc golfing in 1976, when there was one course in the world, I've seen the complete progression of uh, and evolution of the sport along a timeline, at least up until I stopped playing in 2001. And everywhere outside of Europe is somewhere on that timeline. Like there's a similar you know path to the evolution of the sport within a country or a region. So right now, disc golf Australia is basically where disc golf was in the US in the 90s. You know, like it's 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 growing, it's definitely growing to popularity. Tournaments are starting to fill out fill up the good ones. they are getting some sponsors on board, a little bit of media, but it's also possible that your next door neighbors never heard of disc golf. It's also possible that when you ask for time off you know, for a disc golf tournament, your boss's response will be, okay, fine, don't tell me what you're doing, <laughs> you know. So it, it's right at that stage where it's about to, to blow up. But the uh, skill level's good. The players are good. And, and I put New Zealand in the exact same category. I mean, like, there's some good players out there. There's a lot of 990, 0005 players, which means they're just on the cusp of being 1020, 10, 1030 10, touring pros. They're right there.
0: Cool. What were the, the couple of the highlights of playing in Australia and New Zealand?
1: Oh uh, well, I got my butt whipped. I went to the Australian Championships. I think I finished for that. I finished fourth. I think I finished fourth. Um, Drew Gibson won it. Yeah. He won a run. Um, Drew's really, really good. He's he's tough to beat. Um, and then a couple of really good Australian players beat me. Which that's the level of play down there. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. I'm certainly enough to go down there and not play well and and beat all the locals. I mean, if I'm, I, I feel like if I have my A game. Like my last uh my last two tournaments here in Asia I think I averaged 1027 rated over six rounds okay. if I'm playing that off in Australia I'm probably taking it down uh, from the local you know among the locals yeah yeah but it's it, there it's no longer a point where like oh I wasn't putting that well first round why well, didn't put that well first round and I'm on the second card <laughs> you know yeah. yeah that's a it's a tribute uh, or a testament to how how high level their their game is now and again New Zealand is right there with them. I mean, I know they probably don't want to be compared to each other, (laughs) but it's, it's hard not to when you're coming from so far away. So I would say that I I didn't play any tournaments in New Zealand, but it's a very similar level of play and everything. (laughs) We're about to be overrun with about a thousand school children. This might (laughs) be great. (laughs) Um, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to pick up the phone and go for a walk. Yeah. Um, Hey John, are you are you cool to hang out for a couple minutes? Okay, let's let me do this. Let me grab the phone and kind of like walk over. I might take you for a walk around Tokyo while we while we talk. How about that?
0: That's okay. Yeah. So,
1: it's understandably loud because I'll tell you what's the the the, the culture of Japan is the most unique culture I've ever been around, and I don't know, I'm probably in my twentieth country now or something like that. The way they interact with each other is all centered around the idea of we all got to coexist together and we're gonna all act a certain way to make life better for everybody else. Um, for instance, when you're on the bullet train, there's no talking aloud. No one's talking, no one's on their, their listening to YouTube videos unless they have headphones on. People will talk because they'll whisper to each other like it's in, the, in a library, but that's just, it's a way of making sure that the, the experience is good for everybody everybody talks in library voices in restaurants there's no one talks at all in elevators <laughs> so one of the things i've noticed with the children because the children also learn at an early age to be respectful of those around you but they're still kids right they're they're bundles of energy so when the kids are like they step out of the place where you have to have a library voice they let go <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's, which is yeah totally understandable
1: <laughs> Yeah, which by the way, for them is just about normal, like kids in, in the US or Canada playing level. But from from where it was before, like in the like in the subways, no one's yelling in the subways. It's a really special, it's a special uh, culture when it comes yeah. to that. No, no one does it better.
0: Cool. So Australia, New Zealand, probably not too much of a culture shock because you know, um very similar to being yeah. in North America. Where did you head from there?
1: Okay, so from there we went to Southeast Asia, and that was different. Uh, We went from Singapore to Indonesia, to Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia. That's different. (laughs) You are correct. Uh, The big joke was, please don't get mad at me, Australia, but uh, people refer to it as England's Texas.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I've never heard that, but yeah.
1: (laughs) that was a joke, <laughs> But um, yeah, we, when you get to Asia, now it's East versus West, yeah. completely different. It's, it's true. Like, it, so when you're when you're especially an American who, who doesn't learn that there are countries outside of the U.S. until you're like 16 years old, you, you don't know a lot about the rest of the world. I mean, I feel my, I'm like way more. educated than probably most Americans about the world around me, but I still viewed Southeast Asia as one region. Yeah. I know there's countries, but in my mind it's, it's Southeast Asia. But once you get here, you do realize that all these countries are so very different from one another. You know, Singapore is nothing like Indonesia and Malaysia is different. And I mean, like they're all different. And so jumping from country to country was like it was fun it, you know, it, it's worth doing to go ac- across the different countries um this golf here is brand new, uh, but it is like it's this golf in the early eighties
0: yeah um most of the courses now I guess are probably have baskets, um, but do they have any kind of tonals or homemade baskets, or is it pretty much
1: no their baskets are mostly made locally the the, the way the economy works is it's basically I, it's for all intents and purposes impossible not impossible but close to impossible to import a basket from the u.s you know we're talking about a basket would be each basket would be like an average workers pay for like three months okay so imagine like putting a course in in canada where an 18-hole course would be whatever that would be you know several years pay yeah. is the equivalent so it's just it doesn't translate. So the baskets are sourced locally, but they're good. The um what's exciting is that it, it, there's this whole do-it-yourself approach. You know, like for example, um most of these places have like one course in the town. Uh Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia has 3, Johor, Malaysia, and if you've never heard of Johor, I hadn't heard of it either, has 9 courses. Wow. And I put a video on my YouTube channel about how somebody managed to get nine courses in a place where no one's sort of disc golf. And it's a fascinating story. Uh, But he started off by building baskets with the actual baskets that they put over the top of food to keep the bugs out when your food's (laughs) sitting out for the tops and the bottoms. And like, that's how he started making the baskets here. And it's, it's a very Malaysian thing, and, and and but it's absolutely taken off in Johor. Uh, what's interesting about Johor disc golf, that is mind blowing to me, is that most of the places, uh, like in Asia or even some developing countries, but definitely Asia, it's mostly expats that play, which is understandable. There's yeah. you know you get ten thousand expats in in Singapore, a thousand of them have heard of disc golf, a hundred of them play. Uh, but, you know, it's not really locals because they hadn't heard of this golf. And it is it can be a bit of a separate community, the the uh, sometimes non-native speakers, except for Johor. In Johor, the vast majority of players that play are Malaysian. Uh, the vast majority of play, players that play are Muslim, which is very, I think, unique in the world. Yeah. Um, but that's, well, uh, Malaysia is 80% Muslim, so it's it's only natural. But what's great is, is it's, not, it's not this white person's game. I'll <laughs> uh, do respect to all my white friends out there, but it's not, you know, uh, disc golf is not a, a, an American game or a European game. It's a human game. And so Malaysian people play disc golf in Malaysia, which is what's supposed to happen. And uh, that's probably one of the most special disc golf experiences. Uh, uh, one more that is completely mind, all these things are mind-blowing to me because I wasn't aware of them. Um, when I went to the course in Cambodia, <laughs> the, it's a person has like, he has like two little kind of, uh, bungalows where you can stay in and then a couple places where you can pitch a tent and a little tiny, like restaurant, little bar area seats, like three people, but it's a little, it's a little place to make a little bit of money. Um, yeah. he's an American, Jared. And, uh, we, when I was out there with him, he has an 18 hole course, the first 18 hole course in Malaysia. It's on, uh, at his establishment. And I said, well, how big is your property? And he said, about, about uh, six tenths of an acre.
0: Wow. And I was
1: like, well, wait a second. I, I just played the course. I mean, it's a, it's a, actually, it's a really good course. And, and I said, it's obviously on like 15 acres or something. And he said, he goes, I, I said, well, who owns the land that the course is on? He said, oh, all just a bunch of different neighbors. And I said, they're, they're letting you play in their land i mean there's rice paddies out there people work the fields out there yeah and he said he said well yeah because in cambodia if you're if he can use someone's land that isn't being used for anything else they want the land to be used so it's it's not this mine my this is my place it's like oh cool you use that area now you don't get to play through their back like right next to the house you don't you don't get to play over the rice patties and step on their food, but as but as long as you're kind of staying out of the way, he roped off the rice patties it's out of bounds you throw over them at times they're at they they're the out of bounds area then everybody like nobody has a problem with the course weaving in and out of their property and I'm like, dang that's like <laughs>
0: that's very cool
1: it is so cool. I mean technically I don't live there but I had to establish legal residence somewhere. So I'm legally registered as a, a resident of Texas. And it's like, <laughs> Texas has barbed wire around it. I mean, you can't even step on someone's property. Even if you're like 50 miles from the city in the middle of nowhere, there's a bunch of signs around every property that says mine. Yeah, uh, you know, which, which, by the way, I defend the right to do that. I, I, but I can also respect the fact that other people do it differently as well. I respect both views
0: that's oh, yeah. very cool. What's what's the level of play there? Are there any players in Malaysia that could potentially yeah. next step pro?
1: Yeah, there's a couple. There's a, there's one expat um and then one local player named Darren in uh, Kuala Lumpur who's who's really good. Um these are I don't know what they are but they're probably in the 950 range. Okay. But the the sport it's like a year or two old there. I mean it's in its infancy. So they're definitely stepping up but this is disc golf in the early 80s i mean they've yeah. got they have a place to go they're just starting their they're starting on their path but it's also exciting because like there's energy there because it it's brand new i mean jared has the first disc golf course in the entire country of cambodia i mean that's a really special thing um and actually i was in indonesia i went over to batam indonesia and i met with a uh, a person that runs a Jack Nicholas designed ball golf course. And we drove around on his cart and I'm uh, hopefully he's going to be able to put a course in. It'll be the first course in Western Indonesia. There's there's some people putting the course in, in central Indonesia, okay. but uh, we were working on trying to get that in as well.
0: Yeah. And you know, the reason I talked about the professional players coming out of Malaysia is because I mean, we're two white guys talking about a white dominated sport right now and I would really like to see it become when we ha- when they have a world championship right now it's north america and europe it'll be be great to have a world championship where you know you have the world competing
1: yeah well so here's the thing too i mean it has traditionally been a white person sport right but i've been around since the beginning i mean literally since 1976 And I can tell you that there has always been an emphasis within disc golf in the U.S., but it's going to apply everywhere else. How can we get more women to play? How can we get more juniors to play? How can we get older people to play? How can we get Black people to play, Hispanics, Asians? There has always been a movement in the sport to to do that. I mean, so it's never been, uh, you know, elitist or attempting to exclude everybody. It's proactively tried. Not to the thing that the, the what happened is, and it's just that this is just the reality is that the the types of places where you have the park space tend not to be in urban areas, yeah right that's all that's all it ever was, and so, like, well, how do you introduce this golf in a community where they, they, they you can't even have a course there? there's not room for a course, and that's all it is, it has nothing to do with that you know it's more of a socioeconomic thing, yeah unless you're unless you're country so um the fact that it's happening around the world is great, but it's it's certainly it's something that everybody wants it forever. We we, we yeah. want everybody to game. I mean,
0: yeah, I and, and I, are- I can see that changing in the next, you know, ten years because of groups like you play that are just going to schools, and everybody's playing. Everybody's getting to throw discs. Um, you know, one Absolutely. thing I one thing I would like to see, you know, in. In Kamloops, maybe, is every school has a basket in their corner of their field. You know, they will. So, yeah,
1: they will. We're taking over. I mean, right now in the US, there's, there are, to my best estimate, there's about six to eight times as many rounds of disc golf played as rounds of ball golf. Um, and the reason what I base this on, and these numbers are always hard to gather, but if I'm off by, you know, a factor of whatever, it's still pretty impressive. But the most recent thing I heard was uh, asking people in the U S if you play ball golf or if you play disc golf, you know, separate polls, but about 22 million people um, identified as people who play ball golf and about 15 million disc golfers. Yeah. So a little bit more on ball golf. But the question was, do you play at least eight rounds of golf a year? And so of those 22 million ball golfers, a lot of them play eight rounds a year, or maybe they play three rounds a year and they check the box because they, they, they own clubs. Yeah. Um, A lot of them play one round a month, whereas that 15 million disc golfers probably average five, six, seven rounds on average a month. Yeah. We're talking 60 rounds a year, not 12. So I, I kind of just did the math in my head, and I said probably about six times as many rounds of, of disc golf are played, and disc golf is growing rapidly. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. nothing but ball golf is where we came from, but ball golf, for a number of reasons, is going to continue to struggle in terms of participation. Disc golf is
0: not. No,
1: we're gonna, we're taking over. That's it.
0: Yeah, you got you've got the obviously the financial barrier to playing ball golf. One thing I've noticed locally, which wasn't happening so much two years ago, is I'll go out to the disc golf course, and there'll be a family of six people, grandparents, yeah. parents, and like three or four kids. And they'll have one disc and the kids are just throwing it. doesn't matter where it goes. Yeah. They're just throwing it, picking it up and going. And, you know, it, it's great to see. And, you know, for some, mm. some people might find it frustrating that, hey, I want to play my 18 holes, but. The cool thing about disc golf is you can just jump two holes ahead of them. It's great to see that a lot of families locally are now getting involved. Yeah. yeah. so the sport sport needs to grow. So
1: I I, I will, uh, if you want to hear, I could actually make a very reasonable and logical case that disc golf is the greatest sport in the world. Okay. Um, It'll take, it takes a few minutes to paint this picture. So I'm not, I'm not saying it is because I love it or boy, it's beautiful to watch the disc fly. Yeah. That is completely subjective. That is not what I mean. Okay. I mean, I can quantify why it's the best. You want to hear it?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: All right, here we go. I would make the case in the 20th century that ball golf was the greatest sport in the world. Now, as soon as I say that, I know the Canadians are saying, well, wait, about what about hockey? And the New Zealanders are like, "Yeah, you ever heard of rugby? And of course, billions of people are like, well, what about soccer? What about cricket, right? So here's my, my argument, is that a high number, high percentage of NHL players and <laughs> professional baseball players in the U.S. for the American sport and rugby players and soccer players, when they quit playing their professional sport, take up golf. Yeah. That is where they all, every athlete in every other sport basically filters to golf. Golf, golf is the sport. No PGA pro has ever retired from the PGA tour and taken up rugby, soccer, <laughs> soccer, or hockey. Yeah. It, it all flows one direction. And the reason why is because golf is that, it's that beautiful of a game so i think that golf is the greatest game of the 20th century according to this argument that i like to make so there's a lot of things that make golf the sport of ball golf a beautiful sport whether it's the personal journey or it's the 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 goal setting and achieving or just making that one good shot around that brings you back the exercise camaraderie nature whatever you want to like there's there's you know there's there's calendars with 365 reasons why golf is a great sport you pull off every day so every single thing that ball golf offers everything that makes ball golf the greatest sport of the 20th century disc golf offers as well when you when you go play disc golf you don't lose a single thing that makes ball golf great however you gain the ability to play for far less money, which, which includes families, or allows you to play six rounds a month instead of one. You play in a far more variety variety terrain. Uh, you can play in a much shorter period of time, which means when it gets dark at, at 630 and you get off work at five, you can go shoot around. It takes up less land. It takes up land that is that requires less maintenance and water and pesticides and chemicals. So basically disc golf offers every single thing that the greatest sport in the world offered with additional advantages. To me, that's that tells me that disc golf is the the, the greatest sport in the world, just as an objective, you know, argument. By the way, perfectly happy to No, I <laughs> to I no, I, I I don't
0: I don't disagree with you there at all with your argument. Um I, I used to play a lot of ball golf and was the solid player, you know, a single figure handicapper at my best. And really? yeah, I was mean, about down to a nine handicap and, you know, and, but it, it priced me out of the market. I stopped, I stopped playing for a couple of years for whatever reason. And when I came back, it's like, Hey, green fees are twice as much. Now courses are popping all over the place and they want $150 here to play. Now there's been quite the span of time since I stopped that you know that's about 15 years ago maybe to playing golf now um because if this golf cost me 50 bucks around to go out there i wouldn't be playing it well here's
1: my here's my other thing that i uh that i believe is going to happen because ball golf is not the most played sport in the world in fact it's not even close numbers wise right but yeah. there's there's one more argument about ball golfing you know being the greatest sport of the 20th century, which is it's not how many people play ball golf because ball golf is not accessible to most people, whether it's the country you live in or whether you are your socioeconomic place in the US. But among people that ball golf is accessible to, so among people that have money, the percentage of them that play ball golf is really high. So there might only be, but what is it, Uh, I've never done the math, but if there's 20 million ball golfers in the country, that's 5% of people play ball golf. Okay, that's 5% of people that play ball golf, but among the upper 20% of income earners, all of a sudden you're looking at 25% of people, if I'm doing the math right, who have the ability to play ball golf to play ball golf. No other sport that I can think of has 25% of people that it's accessible, accessible to choose to play. Well, this golf is accessible to everybody, and we offer everything ball golf does. Why wouldn't we have the same 25%? Well, 25% of 400 million is hundred million. No reason why we're not at hundred million players or more. And no reason why when you go to Brazil, you won't eventually see 70 million people play, or I don't know what their population is, but you know, percentage wise, once it's accessible to everybody, we're going to see the same percentage as ball golf does. It's just, we have a larger pool of people that can play. Yeah. Uh, so, by the way, this is me. I'm yeah, not that, knocking ball that, golf. I'm telling yeah. you, I, I, ball golf is the greatest sport of the 20th century. Yeah, we just, we just took it to the next level. That's all.
0: Um, it's a good job Kerry's not here because the next question I'm going to ask, she'll probably roll her eyes at. Um, but I'm a, because being, you know, being, um, you know, from my basically picked up ball golf when I was 16, when my grandfather left me a half set of clubs. Um, uh, until, you know, until, well, at least 14, 20, you know, 20 years of playing it pretty, not competitively at all, but as an amateur and enjoying the sport. And coming from there to disc golf, I have an argument that we need to keep, you can keep the PDGA ratings and all that for the tournaments, but the amateur game needs a handicap system similar to uh, ball golf and the reason why is that you can have a tournament in your club where whether you're a kid a female a 50 plus athlete or a pro you have a chance of winning that tournament and having fun
1: right and you can do that but it's got to be based on the ratings you can't handicap a course it's impossible
0: well i'm trying to get someone from udisc on because udisc have millions of points of data on all the courses that are registered with Udisc and all the rounds that were played there, so.
1: But the problem is there's no way, I did, I did what I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, No, that's okay. Go ahead. right. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, No, I actually did what I think in my not humble opinion is the best video ever explained the rating system. Uh, If you search for Scott Stokely ratings, um, I mean, Simon Lazat came to me and said, wow, I understand the ratings finally. the, the, that's the only system that can possibly work. You cannot rate courses because every course changes from round to round, based on conditions, based on holes moving. Um, the 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 rating system is the 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 PDTA rating system only is not good for people who don't understand math and and don't understand the math behind it, and therefore it doesn't feel good because they think they played better and their rating came out lower. Or they think so and so should have been rated higher but if you if, if if you understand how the math works it is it's not only the best system out there but it's the only one that can work um, and that's so like controversial except among people that understand the math yeah and they, I, they understand regression to the mean and, and the, yeah. uh, the law of large numbers and how it I, works
0: i'm not, i'm not arguing that the 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 issue with the average club player is if you don't play in a rated t- tournament, you're never going to have ratings.
1: Oh, no, that's not true. Because they, uh, you can have rated rounds that aren't tournaments that are league rounds because you have, they will be playing at events with what are called propagators, which are current players that have established ratings, that establish the ratings on the course. The problem is, is that every course needs to have a, a unique rating for it every single round you play it because conditions change. You play, you play a round, but, but they can. they For sure, they a league player can not have this. It just has to, to cycle down. They have to play enough. To get any handicap, you yeah. have to play enough yeah, rounds, right?
0: Ag- agreed. Yeah, I mean, I, Kerry's going to listen to this and go, Clive, be quiet, stop talking. Um, no, why not? I, No, because it is it's because I, I I want someone to tell me, hey, why this wouldn't work. So you have all these points of data for from UDisc that have the courses, and they'll have the red pads, the blue pads, whatever you know, the gold pads, um, and they have all these people that played them. So as in ball golf, the courses have a slope rating based on you know scott stokeless played this course this course this course this course you're at maple hill you have shot minus two at uh emporia have shot minus six and you've got all these so they go okay well i'm i mean just you know making this up but emporia is a harder course than maple hill Uh, and then so as a 13 handicap disc golfer at maple hill i am a 15 handicapper at emporia so you know that's the way it works. in Kind of ball but, golf, and I think that yeah. would transfer. Oh, that would transfer over. And and but it's not. But the thing is, it's not being used for professional. It's not being used for professional tournaments. It's being right. used for events where anybody can go out and play in a tournament and have kind of an equal footing for the day. Um, you know, so you can you can go out with a buddy and say, okay, you know, like my friend Justin will beat me anywhere every time. he, he will beat me between six. Well, uh, three, two, say, 12 sh- strokes, depending on how either of us play. Mm-hmm. With a handicap system, I mean, an, a simple handicap system, I can go there and say, okay, you've got to give me five strokes because that's the difference between the handicaps, and then we can play. But you So
1: here's the thing. So you cannot be a 12-rated handicapped person in Maple Hill because there's no such thing as Maple Hill. Oh, sorry. Because yeah. there's... There's Maple Hill every single time it's played. Conditions can vary so wildly. Yeah. You could have 10 strokes between Maple Hill on Thursday and then Maple Hill on Friday. True. But here's the thing. If you have an entire field of propagators with ratings yeah. that played the course and they all averaged on average, on average, yeah. 10 strokes worse on that windy day and then you played on that windy day, and you shot seven strokes worse than your average. Well, you're actually three strokes better relative to the field than you were. That's yeah. all the, so the thing about the ratings because the numbers come in, they come in so high. Ten this, ten that. Yeah, they're all based on score relative to the field, so they they do they do translate. And you can from the ratings, you can extrapolate a, a general idea that uh, you know about six ratings points per round. Um, you know, you're, you're, it's a stroke. You're, yeah. yeah. It's worth a stroke on this course, long courses, harder courses, you know, you can estimate higher or lower, by the way, I'm not just trying to like poo poo on your idea. No, no. It's I, just, yeah. there's, 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 there's problems with it. And ball golf has, I mean, first off courses change based on where the, <laughs> where the pin is on, a, yeah. on a green, but yeah. it also ball golf won't vary as much as, as this golf will, because five miles an hour, you know, difference between three miles an hour and eight miles an hour wind in ball golf has nowhere near the effect. There, There's not, the, the variance of scores will never be as high as in ball, in disc golf. That to, especially to an amateur player, that much wind is probably seven strokes around.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, but to a ball golfer, like, I'm not even sure I would know the difference um, as a recreational player in a little bit of wind. I'm still just trying to make sure I hit, to hit the ball solid. <laughs> <call
0: it. laughs> okay, anyway. So, by that, the way, I,
1: yeah. I pissed off half your audience because I know people have mixed feelings about the ratings. But, that, but that, they,
0: that, that's and okay. I'll tell you
1: one, one, more, one more defense of the ratings is that when you look over the course of a season, take any two players that competed against each other 15 times and one of them has a, a you know, 10 points higher rating they will have beaten that player nine out of the fifteen times. Like the, it, it, it's a it's a predictor of results, not on one tournament, but over over the big picture. You know, there's a higher rated players finish better than lower rated players on average. You know, I beat Paul Macbeth once last year. <laughs> That's I'm a thousand rated, thousand forty five rated at the time, or I'm a thousand five rated. That's about what should have happened. Yeah, I pl- I played 1027 for a tournament. He played which is, you know, my best tournament. He played 2023, which is his worst. Okay, yeah, so I snuck one by Paul. like. But those ratings, they sure predict <laughs> what happened the rest of the season. I never even, like, got to, you know, be in the group behind him all year. <laughs>
0: yeah, That's cool. And anyway, yeah, I, I mean, it was just I, – I, I still have, you know, a few more – like I'm stubborn, so anyway, <laughs> what can I say? Anyway, but no, thanks for for that little uh, digression there.
1: But my 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 Scott Stokely ratings video, I think is fantastic. It's like anything else. I mean, I I respect everybody's opinion. I mean, this is I'm my 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 belief that the rating system is the best. I'm not stating it as a fact. I'm I'm expressing because of a knowledge of math that math people are all like, yes, it works. You know, because yeah. it is very, it is really, it is actually. It's almost like, um, I hate to say this because Chuck Kenny is a friend of mine and I don't want to give him a a big old fat ego when I say this, (laughs) but the thing about the rating systems, it's almost like what I've heard about um, jazz music. Like, like I don't understand jazz. So when I hear jazz, like, okay, I hear it, there's horns, there's this and that, but the people that understand jazz will listen to something and go, you have no idea the beauty that you're listening to. And my answer is, you're right, I don't. I'm not a jazz person. I don't understand jazz, but the jazz person says, Oh my God, I could listen to this, this, this horn solo. Like, and I'm like, I don't get it, but they see, they see the level. Well, that's honestly the people that the math people see. There's a beauty in the rating system. It's actually really, really, really good, but it doesn't mean that everybody hears it. Not everybody listens to jazz, you know? And so the ratings is, you know, don't get a fat head Chuck Kennedy. If you're listening, uh, but it, it really is. It really is really good.
0: So, so my final question on this then is <laughs> no, it, and it's a question for for um, increase my knowledge. It's not an, an argument against. No, so no, for sure, yeah. The, the only way um, I get my ratings right now is if I play in a CBA or grade tournament, PDJ um, right. PDJ tournament. You were saying there's a way of calculating it. Is there? Do you know of any software app or anything that a club can use to run a tournament and then? Yeah, the the, the PDJ allows you to run rated leagues. Oh, I I, yeah, I know. But when you when you're in a smaller community, and not everybody can you know can turn out. For a league, so that
1: that I don't I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing about the ratings is the reason why they paid nine hundred thousand dollars to buy the ratings from Chuck was because that was, according to a poll, the number one reason why players joined the PDJ is they wanted a rating. Right? Yeah. So I know they're going to be very protective over that. So, so no, I I, I don't. By the way, I'll i even add one last thing. There, there's there's still flaws in the rating system. They're just, um, you know, it's not perfect. Okay, it's, it, there, there are things about it that, are, that don't work. But I, just like Chuck, couldn't tell you a solution to how to, to correct those things. You know, like there, there are some things that just, they will skew the ratings, but they're not the fault of the system. It's just, it's just imperfect. So some of the complaints, in fact, in my ratings video, I even say, I talk about some of the myths about the ratings and a couple of them I go, that's not a myth that's actually true and then the, but the next one that's a myth <laughs>
0: cool well I'll, I'll be i'm sure i've watched that a while ago um but i'll have to watch it again and remind Thanks. myself <laughs> yeah okay so anyway we took a little bit of uh a, a tangent there um let's go oh, that's fine it's fine yeah yeah let's go back to um did you go from kind of malaysia um to straight to, to Japan or was there No,
1: so I went to we went to Singapore first. Um and Singapore is like this massive uh, as close to a western city as there is in Southeast Asia, and it's not Western at all, but I mean it's very modern. Everything is I mean the trains run on time, <laughs> the streets are clean, everything well
0: then then it's not like a western city if they run on time then.
1: No, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you're <laughs> um The uh, the the interesting thing was, uh, um I mean, I love Singapore. I mean, I I can't think of a, a, a funner big city to be in. I mean, it's amazing. But what we really enjoyed was we actually left Singapore and went to Indonesia after that. And um, we didn't go to Bali. <laughs> Everyone asks, um, I'll probably go to Bali someday. If that is the least interesting. I'll go to Jakarta before I go to Bali because I don't want to go where all the tourists are. I want to go. Where Indonesians are. And so we went over to Batam, which does have um, a lot of people from Singapore because it can get there by ferry. But then we went and stayed an hour outside of Batam um, at, at a hotel where we were the only, only English speaking people there. Uh, that's not, I mean, well, some of the people that worked there spoke some, a little bit of English, but not much. And, you know, we, we spent our days. Get, you know, we would take, uh, it's like Uber, it's called Grab, but it's like Uber all over the island. We would, we would give them a destination and then we'd see like a little village and be like, drop us off here. And we would, they'd be like, really? Like, no <laughs> one gets off here. And we, would, and we did this every day. This is how we like to travel. We, yeah. we would often, we would wander around and we would just meet people and, you know, we, people would invite us in and, and cook us food and like, you know, they didn't even speak English and they would take pictures with, with me. I'm like twice as tall as everybody. Yeah. Um, what was real interesting is that you actually get to see, we got to see what real actual poverty is. Okay. Not Western, you know, I am poor, but I have a cell phone and Netflix and a place to live and, and a flush toilet. And it's like, you know, and if I want to go to school, like I can get a loan and like my education's free. I mean, that's not poverty sorry like it's just it's like that is not real world poverty real world poverty is you know you take your sewage out and dump it in the river and you don't have running water um you there are people fishing that if you don't catch fish all right well then you'll eat tomorrow um and that's like i had never been around that before and uh it's it's I mean, I, it's, I started to sort of pick the right word for it. It's not that I, it's not like say I enjoyed it is not the right word, even though I enjoyed the experience and I enjoyed the people immensely, but the opportunity to see that part of the world, because that is a large part of the world, um, was really, it was just interesting to actually be a part of that, you know, and. Spend time with the people as much as we could. I, I cannot wait to go back to Indonesia. Um, probably, along with Cambodia, probably the warmest, sweetest people we've met uh, anywhere on this trip. I mean, 100% safe. Adriana could walk down anywhere in Indonesia through the the, the right down the middle of a town with abject poverty and nothing's going to happen to her. Um, she's 100% safe there. I'm 100% safe. But just, It's, I mean, it's life changing. It's life changing to get to see what a lot of the world, how they live. I bet. Yeah. So that was, that was a special. Then when you get over to Malaysia and and it's like, they call, like, it says on, according to some websites, it's a developing country, but it's like, if it's developing, it's going to be done developing in like two more weeks. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's modern. Kuala Lumpur, very modern city. Um, And then, thailand and is is <laughs> thailand is the wild west there's not a lot of rules in thailand um they they have marketed themselves to a uh, the, the tourist audience of uh come have fun in thailand <laughs>
0: yeah. so give me um, give, give that, me an example of no rules
1: uh well they they have legalized marijuana there okay uh there are uh you know, there's lots of, uh, lots of places in, in Thailand where you can go, you know, you can, you can pay someone to sit down and have drinks with you. Okay. Um, and there's just, it's just a very relaxed atmosphere. I mean, nobody is like doing harmful things to one another. So there's, people tend to just be kind of left alone to do their thing. You're not hurting anybody dude you know, go do your thing. Um, I mean, you can't, do everything there's still rules but it's they're just pretty loose yeah um also say like singapore which is the exact opposite um singapore uh if you enter into the country with drugs on you they have the right to shoot you upon entry wow okay it's extremely strict like you wouldn't like you you don't mess around in singapore it's like they don't they don't mess around um and then you know maybe it's the opposite. And then like Cambodia, it's, it's um there's a lot of much more strict cultural rules. I mean, um, a lot of most couples wait until marriage before um, being intimate. It's still very common here uh, in, in Cambodia, very traditional, you know, the way, the way the family structures work. Like I said, it's, they're all different, you know, and and I, yeah. I mean, I'll be, be back in Southeast Asia, if not this year, next year, the year after I love it here.
0: Cool. Cool. And so you're in Japan right now? Have you been, yeah. been disc golfing in Japan?
1: I played one tournament. Um, I won a tournament, a little one-day tournament, and I'm playing a tournament again on Sunday. Um, but my my season is starting basically right about now. I'm basically getting back. In, I mean, I've been playing a little bit, but I'll be getting back into shape basically now. And then England, uh, the UK is going to kind of get me ready for the European tour. Okay. So I have been playing. And uh, I'm playing well. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I'm taking care of my body, eating well, working out, doing all the, you know, I'm I'm keeping in shape. But I have to, because of my age, I have to reduce the amount of actual playing I do just because I have to, I have to, I have to monitor that. So, you know, I mean, no injuries or I'm not hurt.
0: When you, between tournaments on the European tour, how much field work do you do? Do you just try to tweak things, or is it a pretty um, re- regimented? No, I I basically have to keep throwing. I, I the number one thing is
1: I got to do a lot of putts because that is something that my body can sustain. You know, if I if I was younger, I would do all the field work and all the the reps, the, all the drives as well. Um, but I can't. There's a point of diminishing return at fifty three years old. So I'll be doing some field work, but I'm trying more or less just to sustain that. Yeah. But putting, since I can putt, I can go do 300 putts, 400 putts, and I'm, like, I'm not going to get hurt doing it. I don't have an excuse not to.
0: So having taken your course, what's your putting style?
1: Um, It's more of like a sploosh putt. Yeah. You know, that's just how – and again, that's just how my body moves.
0: And I'm my – Mine's similar because I just figure it's less movement in my body. It's basically yeah. kind of straight up and, you know, boom, up and down. One, basically one line. And if I get that line right, it's got a chance of going in. That's, that's what yeah. I excelled on.
1: Well, what's fun about the putting is that when I took my two-week break last year, I did the exact same thing I talked about doing, which was when I went back to the drawing board, I, I wanted to make sure that I was moving in the way my body wanted to move. You know, as you know, from taking the class, what I believe in is that there are certain fundamental rules you must follow. You can't just play any way you want to. That won't work. Uh, yeah. You know, nobody with a terrible style gets good ever. Um, but there, you can't be regimented to one specific timing, style, angles, because our bodies are different. So you you have to get the fundamental things that you must do, but then you allow your individual body to move the way your body moves and so with putting styles like well, you I, i'm gonna guess but you can tell me if i'm wrong but when when i had you do the eight different putting styles some of them just you start to realize my body doesn't want to go that way
0: right yeah there are only two that worked for me one was That's the push and one was the nascar but the nascar has and Sorry, the listeners, if you want to know what the NASCAR putting is, take Scott Stoker's course. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the NASCAR just had too many moving parts for me. Yeah. So for, for, and for accuracy. Yeah.
1: And, and it's so funny the way it works is that almost nobody, when they realize it, when they just start listening to their body, realizes that their body doesn't want to move every single direction at once, or I mean, every single direction equally well. Yeah. I mean... I mean, the short of it: when I have you do eight different putting styles, I basically I've broken down putting into eight major putting categories, and you putt and don't base it on results. You base your putt first on how your body wants to move, and it, it, to me, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if you could rip the skin off your shoulder, it's a hinge. I mean, they might have a little bit of mobility because of some moving parts, but ultimately, it's a hinge, and a hinge you might be able to force it to move different directions. But there's clearly one way a hinge moves that's correct. Um, So there's one movement for you that you should be doing, because that's the way your body wants to move. But my argument is that the person next to you, their hinge is not identical to yours. So they have to figure out how their hinge moves. And if both people are moving in the way that shoulder hinge moves, they might have two different putting styles, but both of them are correct putting styles for them. What doesn't work is to go and try to make your body move in a way where it doesn't move fluidly because then you're constantly fighting. The hinge is always trying to go back to its default setting. So if you're not, if if you don't have a putting form, that's how you like, how your body wants to move, like you're swimming upstream for the rest of your life. I, I, this is, I I truly believe this. And so, but the putting, that's why the the way the, my six month online class works is I introduce these before you even, even work on putting, everybody figures out how, how their body moves. They post videos. They have the trainers look at it. We, you know, we figure out your putt, and then based on your putt, here's the details of how you're gonna aim and how you're gonna follow through and how you're gonna you're gonna do it. But we we you don't start there, like you don't start with the end result. It doesn't work. You don't emulate another player. It doesn't work. They have a different body than you. Yeah. You figure your body moves, and then we move into it. Like I'm very proud of like of this my class because this is a lot it's my life's work of figuring out the way to teach disc golf where everybody's like holy cow this totally worked!"
0: <laughs> yeah cool so uh, from japan are you headed to the uk to europe
1: i just signed up for the welsh championships oh. <laughs> I'm gonna be okay. i know it's so cool. bizarre um and i'm going to be playing the scottish open i signed up for the scottish open last night
0: nice um, yeah, I haven't been back to the UK in 20 years and it'd be, you know, and then ne- disc golf was nothing, you know, I don't think anybody ever heard of it. Um, so it'll be interesting when I get to go back to see my family eventually that, um,
1: yeah, t- I can't I'll take
0: my disc with me. I've,
1: I've never been there. I've actually no. honestly kind of avoided England just because it wasn't even on my radar because we're trying, we're traveling the world. Like, it's the least exotic place I could think of yeah. because it's, it, you know, I want to go, like, I want to go to Indonesia and Cambodia. Yeah. And uh, this winter, coming winter, I'm going to go to, hopefully I'm going to go to India and Madagascar, uh, maybe Egypt. But, like, that, like that's where I want to go. And that's where I want to disc golf. I want to go try to get a course in in Madagascar. And, uh, so England is just, like, to me, it, you know, but. It,
0: you're you going to love it, though, all the same
1: one says that, that, that there's there's tons of unique stuff there so there, there,
0: there is i mean you know it's it's not it's not exotic but the history i mean i think you know you'll see your castles you'll see that but you know yeah. it's i remember the first time i went to paris and i saw the eiffel tower you see it on tv all the time and it's going oh i'm going to paris i'll see the eiffel tower you get there and it's like holy cow this this thing is amazing and i think you know, i thought that
1: When I went to, I went to go, we were in Italy, and so we, of course, we went to go see the Leaning Tower of Pisa, and I was positive it was going to be the dumbest tourist trap ever, but, like, you have to see it. And then you walk around the corner, and you see it, and you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. This is so cool. (laughs) Like, it really is, like, leaning like this, and it's like, it looks like it's going to fall over, and it's amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah. and you'll see it, you'll uh, yeah, Stonehenge I mean Stonehenge places like that, but you think it's a bunch of rocks in the field and you get there, and it what well, it is, but um... you
1: know do one more of those I, I I felt like like we avoid tourist stuff. I've been to, I think like all but I think all but one national park in the continental US. I mean we we love our national parks. We go to everyone we can go to. I love them. I wasn't excited to go to Yellowstone because two million people a year visit Yellowstone. that's not what i you know, and then Old Faithful. We pull up to Old Faithful, and it looks like the parking lot of Disneyland. I mean, there are thousand, i mean, not exaggerating—thousands of cars in multiple parts. They have shuttle buses to take you up to the to, to, to Old Faithful from parts of the parking lot. That's how big the parking lots are. And we get there, and it's just filled with tourists and popcorn and sodas, and they're like, and everybody's gathered in all these benches around Old Faithful. And I'm like, oh my god, this is this is just <laughs> this is everything wrong in the world like it's just awful but you're there we're gonna go watch it and next thing you know old faithful starts going off and next thing you know my eyes are watering up and i'm jumping up and down pumping my fist and everybody's screaming and cheering and i'm like damn (laughs) i i tried really hard not to like this
0: yeah (laughs) but
1: it but then it's emotional because like this is this thing that you get to see that's that's so special that so many people in, in the world but especially america have shared in that experience like i like i'm like watching this thinking I'm connecting to people 75 years ago yeah, that had this experience. And it was, it was very, it was emotional. And I'm like, I didn't, I didn't expect that people were eating popcorn. Yeah. It's not supposed to be emotional. So yeah, I get what you're saying.
0: And then you're competing on it. Did you get your visa? I know you had visa problems with Europe. Yeah, did you get that I'm sorted only, out?
1: 90 days. 90 I can only days. do 90 days, Schengen, which is the main, main Europe. Um, I may be able to get an extension in Spain to, to play a couple events at the end of the year. Cause I can do individual country extensions, but yeah, I never, it never occurred to me that I would be limited to 90 days in Europe because I thought I'd be in a different country. I, I was only yeah. going to be in a week or two, which is what I'm doing all over Asia. And like, you know, I got 90 day visas in countries in Asia, but then I go to the next country and then, then yeah. it starts over. But apparently Europe, it's, it's all of continental Europe for 90 days. Now, once I do it, successfully twice where i i i don't stay in europe more than 90 days in a 180 day period basically i follow the rules to 180 day periods which i will do then i can uh, apply to extend for longer uh which i'll do i mean i I plan on doing the european tour a number of seasons so cool but for now 90 days i mean i'm not look i'm not gonna cry i mean like if if i cry about that every single person Watching from their cubicle is like pissed off that I'm complaining about getting to spend 90 days in Europe. I'm very lucky, but it's not what I play.
0: No, we'll follow you on your European tour, obviously. And awesome. so, we, um, hopefully, you'll get some podium finishes. And um, yeah. I'm playing
1: really. I'm telling you, I'm shooting like 10 27 golf. My last two tournaments, and the tournament before that. There's a compilation video of my circle two putting. I I think I can win one out there, and these. I mean, look, you got to shoot. It's not as high level as the DGPT, but you still got to shoot ten fifty over over yeah. four rounds to win in Europe. You still yeah. got to be a baller, and I I haven't cracked that code yet. I've shot in ten thirty something for a tournament, so I'm yeah. still like at my best three strokes around behind winning. But that's yeah. I don't know. I think I can do it. Why hey, not?
0: Yeah, uh, w- wish you luck on that and. um yeah Yeah. so one last question um before you go and this is just if there if there's one thing if you come back if you do this little tour again if there's one thing you have to do again going back to indonesia malaysia australia what's that one thing that you would be first on your list honestly to me it's
1: all about doing something new you know i the way the way we live our life, me and my 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 partner Adriana, is that we just want new experiences. Like that's that's everything to us. When we go back to Australia, we're not doing the East Coast again. We're gonna fly into Darwin and take a train across to Adelaide. And then if we come back a third time, we'll go to Perth. Perth. Okay. So like and, and this is not an exaggeration. I would rather do something new tomorrow that turns out to not be fun at all then do something tomorrow that i know i'm gonna like that i've done before
0: that's that's a good like attitude. this good attitude to we, have
1: we, we just live for the the next new experience so um it, there's no definitive answer there's 17,000 islands in indonesia and i think the one yeah you know um, so if we go back we, we're we not going to the like that's one thing i can tell you we won't go back to the same island it'll be a new island um we don't stay in places. Like we don't stay in a city for more than two or three days at the, and that's it. There's a lot to do there because we just, it's about, for me, I just want to do new things. I mean, that's all I want to do. I, I've told you this before. I think that I don't have a a, a storage unit back in the U.S. I S I don't have a home base. I don't own, I, I threw away or sold everything I owned that I couldn't fit into at the time, a small economy car, now a backpack. And I plan on living that way until I fall over. Okay. You know, I like I want a backpack because that way I can just go to the next place and there's nothing holding me holding me down to doing that.
0: I I lied. I've got one more I've got, I actually got one more online, you know, the one question for I'm you. So um did you get so you got Scott we all know who Scott Stokely is in, in North America, uh, disc golfers anyway. Um did you get any of that? Kind of fanboy recognition. Oh my god, it's Scott Stokely. Anywhere you yes. went? You did? Everywhere I go. Everywhere yeah.
1: I go. Yeah. I mean the sport's grown to a place where that that's the way it works. Um, so everywhere I go, I mean, when I, I showed up to the tournament in Japan, I told them not to tell anybody I was coming. I just showed up. And nearly every person in the tournament took their picture with me. Um and the thing is is that i like i played in obscurity for so many years and i really enjoy it like i'm flattered by it i'm humbled by it i'm touched by it i'm moved by it i mean i'm like it people are like i'm sorry to bother you mr stokely and i'm like you have no idea no like that you coming up to me to ask for my autograph makes me happier than anything else in the world because like i like I love it, I love it. I I paid my dues for so long, and then now this is happening everywhere I go. So yeah, that is happening everywhere. But it, like, I'll tell you this: the minute I don't find that amazing and 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 appreciated, I'll quit playing. Like I won't ever like play if I'm going to show up there and be like, oh my god, I, that autograph. I hate the autograph table. Shut wow. up. Shut up! You hate sitting at the autograph table. Do you realize what all the people in line do for a living? And you're yeah. playing disc golf and you're complaining about having to sign autographs. Shut up! This is the most amazing thing to me that this is happening in our sport. And so, yeah, I I I love every second of it. And but the recognition has, and it's because of social media. But the recognition has gotten big. When I announced I was going to Europe, I, I uh, fifty tournaments reached out to me within a day. Trying to pitch me on coming to their tournaments. I mean, that happened from me posting, Hey, I'm going into Europe next year. And next thing you know, I've opened up my my inbox, my social media, and it's packed. Everybody wants me to come out. Like it's I'm it's so flattering. It's I love it. I just it's yeah, I love it. <laughs> I really, really enjoy it.
0: That's that's awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get you on maybe in another few months in the European tour and we'll we'll I, ch- chat yeah. how you doing. I'm,
1: I'll come back on and talk with you and Carrie anytime. I love
0: it. Cool. Um, so I want to thank you for giving up your time, and of hope course. hope you haven't lost Adrian <laughs> somewhere. Um,
1: yeah, we're we're on our way to Mount. So we're on our way to Mount Fuji. I'm gonna to get to shoot some videos of me throwing with Mount Fuji in the background. It's like unbelievable. Uh, like how uh, lucky I am. I can't believe
0: it. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, thank you very much, and right. um, we look Thanks. forward to following your your tours. That was our second conversation with Scott Stokely, and I am so happy that he spent time with us. I mean this with the utmost respect, but Scott Stokely is probably the greatest showman the professional disc golf circuit has ever seen. Always entertaining, always got an opinion, and always willing to tell you what he thinks. We love Scott for that. What I love about Scott is he is so grateful, full of gratitude for what the sport has given him in his life. And I love his attitude of try something new. Don't just do the things you like to do. Try something new. Life's too short just to get into a routine. I'm sure you'll hear more from Scott in the near future, especially after the European tour when he can tell us about his adventures in Disc golf in Europe. And remember, if you want to get any disc golf discs, equipment, carts, bags, anything, go to our sponsor Okanagan Disc Supply at okanagandiscsupply.com and use the code FLIGHTPASS to get 10% off. Dan is doing an amazing job there and he will be moving into a bigger, more luxurious storefront fairly soon. I'm sure we'll have Dan on the show to tell us about that. So Go out there, it's summer in the Northern Hemisphere, throw lots of discs, and good luck this season.